This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads at our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Now forgiveness is part of Christianity. Everybody knows that. You talk to the man or the woman in the street. He might never have been to church, never have read the Bible, but he knows that. In the Lord's Prayer that so many of us have learnt at primary school and we've actually just sung it in our hymn there's a line forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us when we learnt it at primary school we might not have known what trespasses were but everybody gets a general picture forgiveness is part of Christianity and I think because it is so well known where it's something that often gets flung in its face when it that's the church professing Christians we ourselves when we stand up for what is right if you see something that is wrong do you just let it go by all people, not, not just religious people, all people, if they believe they know what is right and they see others doing wrong, well, they feel it incumbent on them to point out the right way, to set people on the right path for, for all our benefit. And of course, putting people right means criticising them, telling them, directly or indirectly that they are wrong and especially of course if you're committed yourself to God committed yourself to trying to follow the right way and to serving God in any way you can whenever, wherever then you feel it particularly incumbent Now the society around us seems quite happy to take that line if it's the big people that are being criticised. Those in positions of power and authority, the government or, or somebody like that. These are the people in whom we have placed our trust, who we are expected to look up to. So I mean everybody's on it them all the time but when it's the things that ordinary people do that come under fire the man in the street the next door neighbour leave themselves then oh no hang on the cry goes out where's your Christian forgiveness what about your tolerance Where's your Christian love? The problem is, I think, the world doesn't actually understand forgiveness. You see, I reckon people divide sins into two types. First, there's a type of sin that they commit 
themselves. After all, nobody is perfect. Or if they haven't actually committed them yet, they might or could at least imagine themselves doing so. Then there's the type of sin that they themselves would never do. Only other people do those sort of sins. Now, as to what goes into one class and what goes in the other, obviously different people are going to divide it up differently. Perhaps depending on their background, their circumstances, even just the type of person they are. And I think it's actually quite surprising just what some people are prepared to justify. You see, the sins they do, well, yeah, they're all right. They can be forgiven. After all, they don't really matter. Maybe they're not that little, but they don't really do any harm, or they're understandable in the circumstances. Ah, oh, but then the other type of sin, no, well, they are wrong. They are truly evil, and the perpetrators are condemned. Just punishment must be exacted to teach them a lesson and to make sure it doesn't happen again. In such cases, there is no forgiveness. Lock the door and throw away the key. Christianity knows nothing of these two types of sin. All sins are wrong. If you read what the Bible has to say as to the, in the letter of, letter of James, it's in chapter 2, verse 8. If you really fulfil the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbour as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. By the way, all my, I'm reading today from the New King James translation. So sin is always sin. And you can never say, it doesn't matter. Because it always does matter. It always harms. It is always wrong. But that doesn't mean you can't forgive. To forgive is not to condone. The very act of forgiveness implies that a wrong has been committed. There has to be something to forgive. God sent Jesus to die on the cross 
to show the true awfulness of sin in order that we could go on to be being forgiven all that pain all that blood all that suffering that is the darkness of sin our sin The temptation is to be repulsed and and turn away. But we have to look at it and own it. And then when we recognise the darkness of our sin, we can repent and be forgiven. We can have that darkness taken away from ourselves. And in the paradox of the cross all that struggle and effort all that determination all that sacrifice that is the love of God forgiveness requires repentance it needs a sinner to acknowledge his sin and the forgiver has to recognise that there is something to forgive it's almost an old cliche in our circles you have to hate the sin but love the sinner I said there's only one type of sin but in another sense there are two types in how they relate to us there are sins against us and there are sins against God By sins against us, I mean the things people may do that actually hurt us in some way. Us as individuals, such as when somebody steals something that is ours, or hits us, or tricks us. It hurts us. us. And sins against God, by that I mean things that we recognise as wrong, but don't directly hurt us. We're not involved, we're just observers. They might hurt someone else, but then that is their business. As far as we are concerned, we are unaffected. But it is still wrong. It is a sin against God. With the first thought, it's easy to see how forgiveness works. We are the wronged party. It is our prerogative to forgive or to seek redress for the wrong we have suffered. Dealing with sins against God is different. The other person or the people who have suffered wrong, well, they are obviously in the same position that we were in the, in the last thought. It's their business. They have that prerogative. But what about our position? What do we do about it? It's no longer a matter of our own personal involvement and sensibilities. We will now be in a situation of sitting in judgment. In the courts of the land, the judge and jury sit to administer the law. They have been given that position. It happens here and now and they have a certain authority to condemn or forgive. 
when it comes to God's law, we know that Jesus is to judge in the future. But we may have to judge today. I'll just read a passage from Paul's letter to the Corinthians in chapter 6. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren? That brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. So Paul is saying there that the members of the church should, when they have disputes amongst themselves, they shouldn't be taking their, their case outside to civil law. They should be able to judge between each other within. This is to do with the, with the everyday running of the church, a practical manner, matter. After all, we all have to live together and it's got to be done. And then there are other times when, when we have to tell somebody they are wrong for their own good. As again, Paul wrote to the Galatians. This is in chapter 6. In the first verse of that chapter. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. <clears throat> if people are moving away from God, those of us who are his companions should steer them back onto the right path. This is to do with everyday life. But when it comes to ultimate forgiveness, then that is not necessarily our right to give. Reading this time from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 14, verse 13. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does eat does not eat, judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or fails. Indeed, he will, be, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. It is ultimately God who judges, and we stand or fall before God. I'll split these sins up into these two types, but admittedly they're not completely separate. They, they interact, they overlap. After all, sins that are against us personally 
are also sins against God, as all sins are. And sins against God affect us all, even if we're not directly involved. We can feel hurt, angry, demeaned when a, somebody blows up a, a building in a crowd of people and even little children are hurt. We too feel that pain and the shame. So I suppose, yes, in, in that aspect, from that point of view, for that part of the effect of the sin, yes, we do have the right, we can, if we choose, forgive. Except it isn't always, of course, as easy as that. I said forgiving sins against us is easy to understand, but it often isn't easy to do it often depends on how we actually feel about the perpetrator do we like them do we want to still be friends perhaps it shouldn't but it often does you know it's easy to read the words without really thinking about it um, for example I like books Perhaps many of you also like books. Imagine, imagine you do like books and you lend one to a friend in the way that you do. A nice one, a valuable one, and one that you're keen on getting back. But, but he needs it for a project he's doing. <laughs> and so you lend it to him. And after a while, he comes back to you. He's very sorry, but he's dropped it in the washing up water. You're not very happy, but he's sorry, and you forgive him. Just be a bit more careful. Yeah, he borrows another. This time it's left beside the car and gets run over. He pleads for your forgiveness and borrows a third. This one gets ripped up by your kids, by his kids. I think by this time your patience might be wearing a bit thin. Three times he's let you down. Think about yourself in that situation. But what does Jesus say on this issue? It's Luke chapter 17. Verse 3. <clears throat> Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Seven times? Could you really keep forgiving him seven times? Or almost throwing him out as a free just then the apostle Peter wanted to check Jesus out on this issue we read in Matthew chapter 18 verse 21 then Peter came to him and said 
Lord, how often shall I, my brother, sin against me, and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Even worse. Jesus is saying the number of times doesn't matter. As long as people repent and are sorry, you are to forgive them. Another phrase we often read, turn the other cheek. This comes from the Sermon on the Mount, which turns the world upside down. It's in Luke chapter 6. <clears throat> Verse 27. But I say to you who hear, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. And the parallel passage in Matthew says, Pray for those who persecute you. We all, I think, probably fairly decent people. We, we probably don't have many enemies. But try to think of someone who, who uses you or hates you. Or if you don't actually know any such person, well, just try and imagine it. We have to love that person. We have to be able to forgive that person. What, them? Well, look, they really have it, have it in for us big time. Why should we forgive someone like that? <coughs> and the aunt... <coughs> <coughs> And the answer is because God forgives us. We might not think that we are so evil, but we know we're not perfect. And the multitude of little sins against everybody add up. And because God is so good, they are not so little to him. It all adds up to a debt that we could never repay. It was like that that we read in that parable at the beginning. One man owed 10,000 talents in the money of that time. It was a ridiculous amount of money, equivalent to a billion pounds in today's money. There was no way he could even begin to pay it. And that is how we stand before God. We are utterly dependent on God's forgiveness. 
But sometimes when we are aware of our sin, do we feel beyond God's forgiveness? Well then, look at Jesus on the cross. This is an expression of the extent of God's love. It is Jesus' sacrifice that covers our sins. So ask yourself, is my sin so great that it is beyond what Jesus' death can cover? This is as good an example of true Christian forgiveness as I can show you. The perfect example, Jesus, as always. I'll finish with a quotation from Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west... came on going forever so far has he removed our transgressions from us friends how we are forgiven how we must forgive we hope you enjoyed that talk for more downloads videos information about what we believe and details of our meeting times go to our website ormskirtchristadelphians.org dot uk